and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast. The only podcast on the internet that deals with cars on screen doing stuff. As ever, I'm Chris Ratcliffe, I'm with Martin Spain, and before we get started, this day, 50 episodes ago, we were recording our first episode of the Auto Movie Podcast. That's right. That's not right. No, 49 episodes ago. Damn, well, damn the pedantry. Yeah, we recorded a test episode, which I think I did edit together, uh, yeah. but we never released because it was very stilted and dreadful. And rubbish. <laughs> and rubbish. And I think, to be fair, episodes one, two, and possibly three were also a little rusty and cold and didn't really sound like we were recording at the same time and there was no real kind of vibe. It took us a while to get into the swing of things, I think. We were there thinking, oh, we'll just record a demo and it'll be fine and we'll re- release it and it'll, it'll be brilliant. And we recorded it and went, no. This is shit. We need to do this again. <laughs> and I think that's good because it tells you you need to, it shows you the stuff you need to work on. And I, I really underestimated how different it is doing a podcast versus just chatting to your mate. Mm. And that, I think, is a continuing lesson. But here we are <laughs> recording the 50th episode after two and a bit years. God, yeah. Thank you all for coming along on this ridiculous ride for this most niche <laughs> of niche podcasts. Let's crack on with episode 50. We don't have anything fancy or flash. We haven't asked you for questions. We don't have special celebratory guests. We're not recording it in front of a studio audience. <laughs> what we are going to do is the same old stuff we always do, but slightly different. Actually, I'm lying. It's not going to be different at all. <laughs> so let's move on to the news. So... I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And I don't mean the Top Gear elephant in the room, which is still one of my favourite Top Gear gags of all time. Check, if you're doing the drinking game, we've mentioned Top Gear and it won't be for the last time. (laughs) Also, if you're drinking along with us, I've got the Jack Daniels Single Barrel Rye out again. Because I do like it. It is one of my favourites. I am joining you on the rye train. I have the Ooh. bullet rye that you sent me that actually doesn't taste quite like jet fuel. This is this is actually pretty nice. <laughs> I'm going to have to actually get a bottle of this because I I do like it quite a lot. So yes, uh, we're going with an all-American whiskey podcast this evening. All rye, all the time. So let's start with Drive to Survive Season 4. Let's jump straight in at the deep end. And I think we need to start with saying a few things. One, I've binge-watched all of them. You have watched none of them. Yep. We're not going to go over the Abu Dhabi result, easy for me to say. (laughs) We will be talking about some of the things in the episodes. I don't really want to say that. We're not going to be spoilery. If you know the results of the races, obviously that's one thing. But I'm not going to be sort of revealing too much. Let's, let me, let me jump, jump into dry. the reasons why I haven't watched it. I think we may have mentioned this in a previous podcast. I am finding it increasingly difficult to really care about how Drive to Survive presents not only F1, but also the the personalities within it, because I feel like everyone involved has now grasped what it can and cannot do for them to a a greater or lesser extent. So the Haas team love it because Gunther Steiner is clearly a a bit of a star, which means he's going to get more attention. He's going to be asked for his opinion on more things, but he has no real bearing on 2021 at all his car trundles along at the back spins off and hits walls if it's driven by Nikita Mazepin and sort of does all right but no one knows how good he is if he's Mick Schumacher they, they don't have a story and Max Verstappen doesn't take part because he thinks it's all he thinks it's all fake and besides he's the dullest person on the grid <laughs> They get some Lewis Hamilton time, or at least they did in in season three, and I'm 
I hear there's more of him in season four. But really, it comes down to one thing and one thing only. And that thing is a person and that person is Christian Horner. I can't stand how he has become the go-to soundbite front piece for Drive to Survive. He Last season, he appeared to be in every episode spouting off like some kind of F1 guru when in fact he's just a c***-faced artist <laughs> who inherited a team backed by piles of money and is a front man for Bully Helmet Marco. We're going to need to get our sweary The bleep machine's going to be working. I was going to go further on that one and call him a <laughs> son of a <laughs> sucker, but... <laughs> but there you go. It's, it's Christian Horner. I can't stand how they present him as being, you know, the wise old man of F1. In this series, there is more Christian Horner, I think. And there is a reason for this. They can't have Max Verstappen. Well, they don't have Max Verstappen, but also they only get so much Lewis Hamilton time. And I think... Lewis was very wary about things like catching COVID and what have you. So he's in it, he's talking, but what the producers have chosen to do is kind of use Toto Wolf and Christian Horner as almost a proxy for Lewis and Max. So it's as much about their rivalry, particularly, I think, the first episode... You see them both at home, but you see, like, Christian Horner... Somebody said on Twitter, he, he complains that um, Toto Wolf is all about money and he's not a real racer. And then the next shot, he's riding a horse down a country lane in Oxfordshire. And he's just like, really? So remind me, which one of the two of them has won the 24 hours of, of Nürburgring? Exactly. There is a running thread through this whole thing of... Wolf versus Horner, as much as there is Red Bull versus Mercedes. There was a little of that last season, I seem to remember, but I can only imagine that that was what F1 was kind of about. It was Mercedes versus Red Bull. Mm. It was Horner shooting his mouth off and and Wolf desperately trying to keep his temper in check. (laughs) And I can only imagine that Drive to Survive gets a bit more of the sweary stuff that Sky Sports F1 can't show. It does. It does. What is nice is that they use Susie Wolf more, her of the many and varied accents, because she's also a racing driver. She's a team boss. She does the, um, you know, like the black room talking heads with the light. So she has a view on it and she's obviously very close to them. Away from those two, I think there are some interesting episodes There's a good one about the resurgence of Williams in which Jost Capito comes across brilliantly. See, I will get around to watching this and I am interested to to hear that because uh, Chris Harris did an excellent podcast interview Mm. with Jost Capito where, you know, he revealed himself to be an absolute diehard petrol head and a very interesting, very articulate gentleman. And I'm... I'm interested to see what he and Williams can do. And yeah, they did have a bit of a resurgence. They weren't the worst team. They weren't always the second worst team either. They had a reasonable mm-hmm. 2021, given where they were coming from, I thought. You know, yep. back on the podium with a bit of luck, but also, uh, you know, an incredible bit of driving from George. I See, that, that I think, is a, a probably quite an enjoyable episode because the stakes aren't very high. Um, and it's... You're going to get access. Was it last year that they stopped being... Was it last year that they sold up or was that 2020? Well, 
So this episode starts with Claire Williams talking about her, you know, the, the fact that the team's being sold and, and looking back briefly at her um, tenure. But then once the opening credits start, there's no more Claire Williams. It's all Doralton Capital and... No, you don't know. That's not their name. Dorito Capital, please. Dorito with Yoscopito. <laughs> there are some good episodes in this. And I think I'll, I'll come on to a sort of broader summary, I think, later. There is a Hass episode. The I hear bad things about that. I'm not going to... Even when, when I watch the series, I'm not going to watch that episode. You Well, so the Hass episode really revolves around two things. One is Daddy Mazepin basically kind of almost slightly mobbishly sort of going, it's a lovely racing team you've got here. It would be terrible if anything happened to it. <laughs> um, and, and then there's a photo shoot with, I think it's with Mick Schumacher and Gunter Steiner, where they are shooting product cat, uh, catalogue photos for what looks like kids' garden toys, furniture stuff. Um, because that's kind of what they have to do to pay the bills. But it's all done over a backdrop of Gunter Steiner and somebody climbing this epic mountain, I think, in Austria. And kind of you almost get a bit more of the sort of the philosophy of Gunter Steiner versus the realities of Haas versus what's going on. They try to sort of give Nikita Mazepin an arc where he's like, he's struggling, he's difficult. Things like... Uh, Gunter Steiner saying to him, you know, you can't talk to people on the radio like this. You've, it's, it's a team. You've got to work with people. You've got to bring them on. And he has, uh, was it was it Baku? Where he pitted early for tyres and uh, for rain tyres. It was the one where, um, it wasn't as Azerbaijan, where Norris almost won but didn't. That's Russia. Russia. Of course it's Russia. Um and he sort of said, oh, I can see Russian clouds. I knew it was going to rain. He comes in for tyres. And kind of at the end, you get this kind of radio message where it's, it says, uh, you know, well done, Nikita. You know, you've beaten uh, Mick or you've beaten whoever it is. And it's like, brackets, he was the last place finisher. <laughs> you know, he was... What, what, they, what they should have said is, this is a man who span more times than he finished Grand Prix races <laughs> and finished 21st out of a 20 grid. <laughs> yes. That is my favourite statistic in all of this. Yes. The fact is that he came 21st out of 20 drivers. That's how bad he is. I mean, it must be kind of entertaining watching this with a schadenfreude of knowing that both he and his father have been sanctioned by the EU now. Mm. So all of your, oh, it's a pretty racing team, it'd be a shame if something happened to it, is is kind of lost and moot now. Indeed. Uh, but yes, I, I will go and watch some of these episodes. Um, what I guess, other than the Christian horniness of it all, I guess the thing that bothered me the most about last season was the way they'd kind of play up or try to invent rivals, invent mm. rivalries where none existed. So Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz was the big example yep. last season where clearly they were cocking about and they overlaid dramatic music and did that kind of reality TV thing where they cut from one dirty look that isn't actually a dirty look. Lando's just looking off into space, but then they cut to an angle where it looks like he's staring daggers at Carlos. Mm. And I imagine they're going to have done the same thing between Lando and Danny Rick because Lando... Muller, Danny Rick last year <laughs> for many reasons, but I don't think it's 
I mean, look, I haven't seen this, and I said in our chat today that I can predict at least four of the episodes yep. just by what happened in the season. There's going to be Ocon's miraculous win. There's going to be Yuki Tsunoda is still shit. There's going to be <laughs> Danny Rick's redemption. Hey, guys, I'm still here. I'm not shit, where he wins in um, Monza. Monza. And there's going to be... I forget what the other one was. There's going to be, you know, there's obviously going to be something about Abby Dabby. So let's let's just talk about one th- the other elephant in the room here. When people talk about the fact that it's, oh, it's staged, or this didn't happen, or they've cut stuff from here and they've misused radio and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hazel Southwell did a brilliant article. I think it was in The Drive. It's on The Drive. I read it before we started the yeah. show. And she nails it that if you are a casual F1 fan... It's storytelling. It is. It's fun. It's kind of trashy, and it it has these times when F one purists go, "Oh well, that didn't that didn't really happen." And kind like, of trashy but- is exactly the right word to describe this. And this is the weird thing. I remember when season one came out, I was so excited for this because mm. this is my favourite sport being given a full on glossy documentary treatment and shown to the masses on Netflix. And it had exactly the intended effect, and that's <laughs> made me like it less. I don't know. It's a, it's absolutely ridiculous. Here's the thing, though. If you want to watch a a full season review, this is not it. This reminds me of... You remember when Top Gear reached a point where suddenly a lot of people were all going, well, it's all staged and it's not really a car programme anymore. It's just entertainment. And all the sort of tight... Top Gear diehards like us, <laughs> Top Gear drink. I was going to say, we need to drink. I'm, I'm going to drink for that now. <laughs> all the Top Gear diehards were kind of like, yes, but it's still about cars. It's still entertainment. And that's the thing with this is that they can't change the results of the race. I think they push certain things in the edit certain ways to try and make a story where there isn't really one or they, they misuse something or there's there's a couple of scenes in this and I've noticed it more in this series where they've where Williams were trying to decide who their drive was going to be for 2022 with the whole board sat around a table all in team kit because that's what happens or or like um Toto Wolf and his comms guy with the beard and Susie Wolf sort of sat on a private jet go weighing up driver decisions which may may have happened but it has that feeling of being staged for the camera could you just do that again but the thing <laughs> is but that's the thing is that because it's trying to tell the story that's what they're trying to do they're not saying this is a documentary in the most strict sense because documentaries will always have an edit to them they're Whether, always going to be subjective somehow. They always and, are. And I guess it's how far they push it that, that maybe winds people up. But you're right, Hazel Southwell makes it seem... like She says you've got to kind of come to it and, and, and just laugh at the ridiculousness of it. And she's obviously coming at it from the angle of someone who works within the sport and probably knows better than than most mm. what actually happens and what what's being done. And maybe the hardcore fans do too. I guess... It's it's lost some of that specialness that that now we're used to it having the inside access and now that the teams are used to what happens when this stuff is revealed. I guess everyone's either on their guard more or they play up to the the caricature that Drive to Survive has created more. So one thing I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head here. So when the reviews of this first started coming out and you and I were talking. It was always obvious that the last two episodes, everyone said, we haven't seen the last two episodes yet. We've seen the first eight, we haven't seen the last two. The problem with Drive to Survive, this year, I think, this year, 
as was potentially 2021 season, is that the championship was too good. Because what Drive to Survive does really well is they have a Yuki Tsunoda episode where they follow him over a season. The problem is with the last two episodes is that they are largely uh, Saudi, Qatar and Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Because they have to talk about the end of the season. However, almost everything that they use, particularly from the race, we've all heard. We've all seen. We've all heard it There's nothing dissected. If, if, you'd gone to, if you'd watched Drive to Survive and it was the first time you'd heard the Wolf and Horner radio to Michael Massey, you'd have gone, <gasps> but there's nothing that we haven't already seen dissected and reviewed and commented on and just pulled apart. They so can't offer if, any more insight because... No. And I wonder whether or not, because it was the very last race of the season, under, under normal circumstances at the end of a race... I don't know how the Drive to Survive thing works, but maybe after the race they sit them down in the little black room with the, the mm. grid light and then they interview them about <laughs> what happened. But at the very last race of the season, it's all done and dusted as soon as the chequered flag falls, apart from obviously some stewards' inquiries and protests and so on in this case. But doesn't everyone just go, great, I'm fucking off to the Bahamas? And Pretty go, much. do you, you want to talk to me? Nope, no <laughs> chance, sorry, I finished fifth, I'm off, I'm going on holiday. Especially when Mercedes have got faces like thunder. Exactly, you know, they're not going to want to talk. Although Red, I will uh, say... Horner, I'm sure, would love to pontificate at great length to anyone <laughs> that will listen, even when no one did want to listen. But, you know, you're not going to get the story from Wolf. I, I wondered whether or not, and you can you can tell me this without spoiling it, do they get any driver's thoughts on what happened other than the stuff we've already heard? Do you get anyone in the black room of joylessness kind of <laughs> saying, oh, I thought it was all made up for TV. I thought it was for you guys. They play it very cagely. They don't so, editorialise this bit. <laughs> well, so what they do, I may have got this wrong, but I think off the top of my head, they have driver radio in race from Sainz, Stroll and possibly Vettel, where they send the five cars ahead. And they all kind of go, well, that's weird. And that's kind of as far as as far as they go. Um, yeah. One thing that I will say is, if you watch nothing of Drive to Survive at all, go and watch the last five minutes of the last episode, because Toto Wolf has just this brilliant. And I'd love to know when they filmed it or how they filmed it, but they have. It has this moment right at the end, and I'm not going to say what it is, but. If nothing else, just watch that, and it kind of goes, <laughs> but I think if you are an F1 fan, even if you've watched all the races, sit down with a beer, watch this. There is stuff in there you will not have seen, like Toto Wolf going round Lewis Hamilton's car after Verstappen parked himself on top of it at Monza, and, and Wolf saying, you know, I was against the halo, and I'm really glad I was wrong. And yeah. just seeing the car. Well, that's it's still essential viewing. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm going to watch some of it, if not all of it. <laughs> uh, because Try- of the access they get, because of these off-the-cuff moments, yeah, there's going to be some staged stuff. Yeah, there's going to be some stuff that feels like it's been kind of forced together to, to push a narrative that maybe doesn't exist. But it's still the kind of access that, we would have dreamed of back in, mm. you know, the 90s or the 2000s. And that makes it essential viewing. But it is, you have to, like Hazel Southwell says in her article, you have to come at it from the point of view of this is not reality. Not always. Yeah. It, there is, if you are aware of the editing, 
and you're prepared to kind of go with it even if you kind of roll your eyes occasionally i think it's fun yeah um i did watch over when was it was it last week last month maybe f1 did a uh, sky f1 sorry did a two-part show called uh, Lewis and Max the Duel or something that sounds like a boxing match. Yes, I, that, I, I've heard good things about this. I can't bring myself to watch it because, you know, last season's finishing, like the last three races are still quite mm. raw in my mind as just not being not being the F1 that I wanted to watch, despite, you know, mm. some amazing performances from lots of drivers, not just not just Hamilton winning but also just the whole mess of the end of that last season. I don't think I want to go into it. And the way that Verstappen conducted himself across the season still bothers me. And I'm very interested to see if he changes anything in his approach or his outlook, having got the monkey off of his back. He's got that world championship. So I haven't watched it, but tell me if it's any good. It's all right. It's all right. (laughs) It's... It, it, it's if, if I say like Sky bonus feature, it's exactly that. It's the people. It's going to be expect. slick. It's going to be middling insight. It's yeah. It's going to be people sort of espousing what's happened. It's good as a recap where they focus on nothing else but Max and Lewis. So it's like who had a good race, who who made mistakes, what were the crashes, what were the strategy calls, how did it affect the championship, and that's it. It's proper bare bones kind of more documentary like but in a way because it's that nice polished sky thing which they do very very well it felt quite anodyne compared to drive to survive and that is as much playing down the sky show as it is saying that drive survivors eh. we've had we've talked about this before that the sky just don't have the access or the ability to to find things in the edit later on mm. that Drive to Survive do. Um, also, just noting on, on our show notes here, you've got a, a point that says that Sky F1 is going to be 4K HDR in 2022. If you have the suitable Sky boxes, yes. I Well, I don't know. I think I do. I thought it was already 4K because it says Ultra HD. You it's have to go to the particular channel and that's only broadcasting sometimes. It's not always um, Ultra HD. But I've, I, yeah, I, like I said, I've, had, I've got the... the the poverty sky subscription apart from sky <laughs> f1 in 4k so i'm assuming they're just going to tack hdr onto the end of it exactly exactly okay. so if, if you've got a nice posh telly that'll be quite something to see in theory it'll do hdr i think um one last thing before we finish talking about sky uh, about f1 rather because we've talked about it a lot i signed up for the sky f1 tv uh, not sky sorry said Sky F1 it's way the too Formula much. One F1 the TV F1 TV app so I've, I've re-bought my subscription after a couple of years away the Apple TV app is brilliant the library on there is phenomenal and it's well laid out it's all easy to get to I think somebody recently said they've got over 2,000 hours of content oh at least at least and it's cheap really for what you get mm. I mean the UK so we don't get the live stuff so I think 
I think even the live stuff was maybe like $70 a year in the US or something. But- it's not an enormous amount to pay. It's certainly it's nowhere near as much as Sky. Of course, you don't get the um, the race in 4K, Ultra HD with HDR coming in 2022. Uh, <laughs> but you do get the race in reasonable quality and you've got Crofty and Brundle on the commentary, yep. which is you know one of the best English language commentary teams you're going to see. So it's, it's, it's a pretty 20- good deal if you don't have... Um, if you don't have a channel that will show it and you can get the F1 TV full, mm. but even just the, the, the cut down version we get, which is live timing and the F1 TV archive is great value. As I it's, keep saying, it's 20 quid for the year or two pounds, 29 a month, which is bizarrely cheap when you actually look at what's there. Yeah. Plus they've got, you know, you've got Ted's notebook on YouTube. You've got the F1 TV the current stuff that I guess probably goes on YouTube before it goes up on uh, the F1 app. But seriously, like if you suddenly have a hankering to watch like the 2006 Belgian Grand Prix, it's right there and it's brilliant. And you get live timing and I strongly recommend it. There you go. See, Chris is shilling for them now, not me. <laughs> um, uh, one last thing. And I did this see this. This did crop up in my uh, YouTube subscription timeline. Uh, you've got Porsche Times Pixar 992 Sally Great Drive article from Steph Schrader slash The Drive. <laughs> now, why don't you turn that into actual English and tell me what's going on? So, at South by Southwest, Porsche and Pixar got together because, and I had to check this because it's incredibly tenuous. The film Cars features Sally, who is a 2002. 996 Carrera. To celebrate 20 years of her model year, Porsche and Pixar have got together to do a Sally version of the 992 Carrera. This is fitting, though, because, you know, after 20 years, someone does look maybe a bit chonkier than they did before. (laughs) And the 992 is a bit fatter around the hips than maybe the slim, svelte Carrera 2 from the 996 generation. You should buy one of those. That would be fun. You've already, you had well, okay, you, had, you had a wide body. Um, I had the yeah, I had the turbo body. Um, but yeah, so the, there's a, there's a really good article from from Staff Schrader, as you said, on the drive, where they take the um, the promo car, which actually has an interior in it, and you can drive, although all the windows are tinted and stuff. Um, but what Pixar and Porsche have done is created a 992 Carrera with nods to the car's world so it hasn't got like a big smile on the front or anything like that it's their what's their program called is it manufacturer exclusive yeah you know the 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 dream factory one um and they've got you know so one thing it did say in this article which i thought was interesting is a lot of the cars in cars are factory paint colors so if you want to buy a he says quickly trying to think of a car that's in cars if you want to buy like an MX-5, it's got like the red is the factory red from Mazda. Oh, that's interesting because Sally is quite a nice blue. But and I, not, my, not a my, Porsche blue. Is it not? It's not. See, I'm thinking through all my paint to sample Porsche blues going, oh, what, what is that then? <laughs> it's slightly lighter than a uh, a Porsche blue, but this 992 will have that colour as, like as a paint to sample. They're making one of them. And it's being auctioned off for a charity to help raise money for some local, I think, American 
children's charities, which is cool. It's it's interesting because it's that thing of when you have sort of no creative boundaries, what do you do to a car? And the fact that they can bring in these elements and they can do like little unique things and it's kind of, it's quite cool. I wonder who's going to end up with that, whether it's going to be like someone like Jay Leno just buying it to basically make a donation and to have something unique to go in a car collection. Maybe. I can only see it going to somebody like that because... I'm not sure, unless you like you watched cars as a kid and now you own some <laughs> NFTs and some crypto and you're like, what am I going to spend it on? I really fancied Sally from, from the Cars movies. She was my Jessica <laughs> Rabbit. And now I can go and, oh, wait, I was going to make some joke about being inside her. Wait, That's wait, a wait, terrible wait, wait, idea. Wait. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Abort, abort. What, so one other thing that we have got on, what have we been watching? <laughs> oh, God, keep moving. So let's move on to... The reviewy, reviewy, reviewy section, um, as it were, as it were, we did ask for some ideas in the last episode as what we should do for the fiftieth show, and one of the listeners, David Barrett, got in touch to suggest that we talk about the top three Top Gear features, not specials. Um, mm. So, for those of you keeping track, drink. <laughs> but yes, I I think it's a pretty good idea. But I'm going to say these are our top three, not necessarily. So we haven't collaborated and voted on these and we haven't talked to anybody else this is what we think our favorite three sort of top gear features are so not the special so you can't yep. just go the africa special vietnam. the vietnam one because those would otherwise be at the top of my list <laughs> it's got to be like a feature like a car review or you know a, a group test or something do you have the ones that didn't make your list uh, i have a couple so uh, one of them was the three supercars in Italy where they drive around Imola. Oh, yes. So yeah, the yeah. Uh, May's in the McLaren MP4-12C, um, Clarkson's in the bright orange Aventador, and Hammond is in a Volvo XC90. I've got... So I, I literally went through like the Wikipedia listing because I'm going, oh, yeah, I've got that. Um, so I've got uh, 1,500 quid coupes that aren't Porsches, <laughs> That one's got some really funny stuff in it. Either of Sabine's appearances, the France supercar road trip, and not just watching Jeremy Clarkson try to climb out of a uh, um, Ford GT in a hotel car park uh, exit. Uh, the Caterham kit car race, I love that. The F50 around, uh, sorry, P50 around, uh, <laughs> around BBC Television Centre. That one's very silly. That did not make my list. Some of the other stuff I've has done, but yeah. That, um, the the Grosser versus Corniche. Oh, that's a deep cut, that one. The A8 going to, from London to Edinburgh and back on one tank of fuel. I remember being amazed at that one. I remember watching that live thinking, this is ridiculous. 800 some, some odd miles of it and it's yeah, yeah. still having more fuel in it. And by the end, you're properly just like... Oh. Yeah, how to, make a, how to make a man driving just <laughs> up and down a motorway, really interesting. <laughs> that was an early one, but kind of set the scene for the, the sort of lateral thinking they'd apply to what kind of challenges you could do. I will say my number four, and I know we're only doing top three, but my number four, the one that almost made it, was the two-litre diesel SUVs caravan test? Ah, uh, that's one of my, my one of my nearlies because it's it's the it's the caravanning, taking things to the tip, and then dragging <laughs> a pair of caravans off road until they fall to bits. It, it, the thing is, as well, it it kind of was one of those ones for me where the great thing that Top Gear does, I think any Top Gear really, but certainly sort of with those three at that time, is the thing where they kind of go. We're having a joke here. 
and we're going to include you in the joke. It's the same thing that they did with the Jag episode on, on the Grand Tour. And it it includes one of my most favourite jokes in all of Top Gear, which is really, really stupid, where James May is sort of saying, he's standing in front of a car and he's going, you know, it's, it's this insurance and it's really economical and it has a gross towing weight of this. And Jeremy Clarkson kind of looks at the car and looks at him and goes, James, great delivery, crisp, concise, well done. That's the wrong car. And he kind of turns around. He thought he was standing in front of a Toyota RAV4 and it's actually like a Mitsubishi. And it's just this moment of just utter silliness, but just delivered so well. Anyway, let's go on to what's your number three? Oh, no, I didn't rank them in order. Um, My number three is one you mentioned just in passing now, supercars in France. Yes. Uh, and this goes back to an episode we did quite a while ago where we chose the episode of Top Gear that you would show to someone who's never seen the show before to give them, like, this is what this show is. In a nutshell, what is Top Gear? And I think I put this one, even not top, very close to the top because it has everything. It's got great cars, fantastic mm. cinematography. It's got those amazing needle drops that Top Gear could do so oh, well. Oh, God, yes. Where they drop that M83 cut as they cut to the, the helicopter shot of them driving over the Milau viaduct and they just drop the perfect bit of music to to make that epic shot look even more epic. It's got, you know, Clarkson needling Hammond about getting new teeth. It's got James <laughs> May with his hair flapping in the wind being being called slow. It's got Clarkson outrageously claiming that his Ford GT has the best fuel mileage. (laughs) It's got a wonderful scene of them driving through Paris um, Mm. and everything going wrong and then them catching up outside a restaurant and laughing at how crap all the keys are to their expensive supercars. It makes me laugh every time I see it. It really does. And whilst I can see some of the artifice after a number of viewings of them trying to crawl out of that hotel car park, all the little horn beeps and stuff are definitely dubbed on afterwards. <laughs> Even though there was a traffic jam, they just make it seem worse than it is, which is a trick mm. that Top Gear do a lot. It just makes me laugh. It's it's funny, it's insightful, it's beautifully shot, and it's entertaining. And like we said, you know, Top Gear is an entertainment show disguised as a car show. <laughs> So how about you? What's number three on your list? My primary measure with all of these was how much I kind of remember them fondly and how much I would want to watch them again. My number three is the Rallycross episode where they is it where they buy cars for the same amount as it would have cost for a bag of golf sticks. Well, the one where they go to France? No, 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 no. The one where oh, they yes, go I know to Lynn Hill with the Saxo, the MR2 and the... Yes, it's, a, it's the same as a bag of golf bats. Because, and the reason is, they're kind of in somebody else's environment, which I always like, um, as we shall see later. But also, I think the fact that after, after I watched this, the number of people I knew who all went, we should do that. How much does it cost? Where can we buy one of these? How do we get, you know, what, do we need a trailer? Do we, What license do we need? You just watched it going, that looks like the most fun you can possibly have in a car. But then they were also there kind of mucking about and it wasn't too serious. And it was just this lovely thing of a group of mates going out and having a laugh without anything catching fire, without anything silly happening. And all of them going, this is brilliant. And I, I, you know, I absolutely wanted to be there doing it. 
Yeah, that was a, that was in the later. It's one of the later episodes, and I, I do remember that one being really, really entertaining. And then, of course, they picked up the same thing in the same location in some of the same cars. I think for <laughs> the last Grand Tour. Yes, with some of the best uh, adverts on the doors ever. Yes, very much so. Okay, well, let's move on to number two, and I'm I'm torn between number one and number two. I am going to say amphibious cars. So season eight, episode three. We talked about this briefly in the last episode, but I'm going to say that's my second favourite feature because of all the reasons we've mentioned before, the ridiculous nature of the modifications, Clarkson insisting that he needs to fit two massive engines onto the back (laughs) of his boat and the expert he's hired to make this toy boater saying, you only need one, and him just going, yeah, but what if I had two? (laughs) When they go out just test driving engines on boats and Clarkson deliberately makes James May's stupid little sailing boat nearly capsize (laughs) by buzzing him in a powerboat with big engines... Yeah, that's again, that's pure Top Gear, you know, Hammond making a canal boat that barely makes it to the reservoir in the first place. And then the finale where Clarkson overdoes it in his typical ham fisted style and the whole thing (laughs) rolls and all they can do is just laugh their asses off. And it's so genuine and it's so funny that I... Again, I'm never going to get sick of watching it. If it happens to come on Dave or wherever Top mm. Gear is found these days that's not iPlayer, then I'm going to watch the whole thing through. And that is the sign of an amazing bit of work. So when I was looking through Wikipedia, reminding myself of, my God, all the features they've done over the years, some of which were awful, like, what's the fastest religion? Where you kind of go, yeah, early Top Gear. Um, apparently... Did they go back and have another go at the amphibious carts? They did. They did a crossing of the channel. Oh, that's what it was. Yes. Which is also quite funny, um, mainly for the fact that James May turns up with pretty much exactly the same car (laughs) and exactly the same thing. Actually, no, that's not fair. It's worse this time around because I think he did manage to sail across the the reservoir previously. Um, Mm. Whereas, spoiler alert, it's no good at sailing on the channel at all. It just sinks immediately. (laughs) And isn't Hammond in like a type two uh, VW combi that something like gets that stuck against it the just, wall? It just goes around in circles and breaks immediately. And once again, a Toyota Hilux loaded up with foam and a massive outboard is the only solution <laughs> to the problem. So my number two was another racing one, and it's one that I have watched. I don't know how many times, which is the. Brick car episode. I knew you were going to say the brick car episode. I knew that was going to be your one. There's so many reasons. One, it's that thing, I think, where it's, it's a real situation. It's proper high stakes. They don't think they're going to be in the race. So they actually like film bits that would have been them not being in the race. They genuinely look terrified. I think it might be one of the few times they wore racing suits that didn't have the labels still attached to them, which again is one of my favourite Top Gear running jokes. But they kind of have to actually go and do it. They can't stage it. They can't You can't muck about. dick about in a race, no. And particularly not one... I mean, bear in mind as well, Brick Car was GT3 cars and proper kit. If I'm not mistaken, Chris Harris was in this race and finished third. In the Paragon GT3? It was in GT some kind Cup. of Porsche for sure, but I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure... He, I think he might be in like the background of a shot once the car is there or something like that. But, you know, 
this was a genuine motor race that just so happened to have a scruffy black three series <laughs> diesel chugging around at the back with three buffoons off the telly and a disguised racing driver. With uh, Larson's biscuits down one side and Peniston oils down the uh, <laughs> down the other. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I read a blog at the time, which I can't find now, where um, John Thorne of Thorny Motorsport, who was actually in it, um, and I think some of his guys, basically they were having some problems making the car run because they're taking some of the safety equipment out. So they got it working. They supported it at the race. And when it's in bits in the garage, you can see like thorny motorsports across the back. And I, I don't think you can get the same sense of drama where it reminds me actually of... Um, you remember, was it last year or was it the year before, where Verstappen crashed his car on the way to the grid? Yes. And they swapped, like, the whole corner of the car in 12 minutes or something. Yeah, it's disgusting. They're all a bunch of bro douchebags, but I have to give credit to the Red Bull mechanics. <laughs> they did an amazing job to get that ready. And that's the kind of the real tension that I think, being in a real situation where they can't control it, it's properly... and. You know, the idea of driving around Silverstone at night while, like, cup cars and prototypes are blasting past you. James May goes off just at the corner after bridge and Jeremy Clarkson's mucking about on the radio and he's just, like, completely loses it and just wobbles off onto the gravel. Anyway, so, Top Gear, number one feature, brackets, not specials, on your list is... Oh, I went back and forth on this because there's there's so many i i another one that missed my list was the reliant robin space shuttle episode which cracks me up so much so much of the the silliness of getting a reliant robin and then nailing it to some rockets and part of it is me needing to know how it's done where i start looking for the joins where I'm going, mm. where are the rockets actually? And how is it actually <laughs> done? Because we all know, and I think there was a post on a forum that's probably long since died from the rocketry team who said something to the effect of, we knew this was for TV. This was never going to actually work. This was, yeah. you know, it was always going to take off, but it was never going to come back down to the ground. That was <laughs> that was not in the real brief. Um, the joy of Hammond and May just, sat on while they're trying to wire up this ridiculous contraption making NASA jokes because there's a stepladder on the launch pad and <laughs> winding up the rest of them by saying it's one small step ladder for mankind. Uh, that I love. But my number one, I've chosen to go with season 12, episode six, the ridiculously thorough Fiesta review. <laughs> Yes, that was on my that was on my uh, on my shortlist. And the reason is, I kind of went through and watched a bunch of clips, and then I watched this again, and the ridiculousness of it. It is that it's one of my favourite Top Gear tropes of taking something to such extremes, taking something that somebody said, and then taking it so far beyond the nth degree that you you're you're deliberately taking the piss. 
with a straight face. So this starts off with the fictional Mr. Needham writing yes. a fictional letter to Top Gear saying, why don't you do proper thorough car reviews? Have you forgotten how? And then Clarkson goes off to review this rather lovely little Fiesta in, in sort of a neon green. And it starts off very sensibly with like, you know, how much luggage can it hold? You know, can I afford it? And Clarkson says, well, if you've got about 15 grand, then yes. But if you've got 40p, then no. Um, <laughs> And it progresses through this kind of thing where it says, you know, is it easy to park? And from is it easy to park where Clarkson reverses it into a space, it then progresses into the silly port where it says, what if I go to a shopping centre and get chased by baddies in a Corvette? And this is the point at which they cut to them having a chase in what is a shopping centre with a bloody great black Corvette where they just drift it and handbrake turn it and drive it through shops and it is so absurd and you watch it giggling for the stupidity of it and then on a couple of reviewings you look at it and go how long must this have taken how long a night must this have been for the film crew how many how much planning and permissions and how much you know kind of ass kissing must you've had to do afterwards when you had to wipe all the black tire marks off of everything and it progresses from there. It then cuts to something like, is it green? And because, of course, it's a green car, Clarkson just looks at it and goes, yes, very. And then they cut to, what if I get caught on a beach with a bunch of combat marines? And he drives it off of a landing craft into the middle of a Royal Navy Marine exercise and, and finishes off with him doing the full William Woolard with a, a, a leg up on the on the the bumper delivering a crisp um outro to camera it's it's everything that i love about sort of the the solo features of top gear where they come up with what might be a sensible idea and then try and figure out the best way to subvert it so thoroughly um, that if Mr. Needham had actually existed, you can only imagine him going apoplectic in his little brown chair about how they hadn't taken him seriously. <laughs> to which I say, have you not watched this show before? I love it. I, I watched it again and it is so cleverly made and it it escalates so well that uh, there are other features I could include, but I suspect we've probably covered them before. This one just stuck out to me as a single bit of Top Gear genius. I love it. How about you? Isn't, isn't that the one where somebody's in the glove box? No, that's the Skoda Yeti. Oh, sorry, yes. Where they basically they took the same theme and did the same thing, where I think they get somebody from EastEnders? Uh, um, yes, Ross Kemp. Yeah, and I'm sure that uh, no, Sienna the, Miller is in it Sienna somewhere Miller, as well. that's the one, yes. Anyway, interestingly, my my top one, and again, this is purely my judgment, this is not... This is just like the first one that sort of came to my mind that I would watch again in a heartbeat over and over again, which is also a solo Jeremy Clarkson one. It does feature a Robin Reliant, not the Space Shuttle one, but the one where he he undertakes an epic drive from just outside Rotherham to Sheffield. This is because this is in the north, isn't it? It's because it's in your, it's your end. So you're just like, I know where that is. I know where that is. There is a bit of that. They're comforting but, northerners. But, but more than that, it just takes every trope from Top Gear and subverts it. So it's like, we're going to take an, undertake an epic journey. And he's standing in front of a map of the whole of Europe. And he goes, from here on the outskirts of Rotherham to here. And he basically points to the same spot, to, to the middle of Sheffield. And every time he goes around a corner, 
the Robin Reliant rolls over. Which, and, like, and that pleases me enormously because I'm hoping that there's like Robin Reliant owners just watching it going like purple with rage at how he's portraying <laughs> their beloved three wheelers. I'm sure there are. But then every time he goes, there's somebody famous from Sheffield who happens to be walking down the road, like Phil Oakey from Human League or something, just to write him. And then he'll, there's like um, a local news piece from Look North with Harry Gration on location. And this Robin Reliant comes into frame already on its roof. And he just gets back up and turns around. But the the one joke that just makes me laugh so much is where he's talking his genius and he's going to fix the problem. And so he found a workshop and cue the music and the 18 music starts and he drives into this workshop, drops the front wheel into the inspection pit and the music stops. And it's just, it's just subverting yeah. that whole Top Gear trope of what's going to happen. It's it's very, very funny. There's no surprises. I think I might have been able to predict your your top three because I know you like the one with the Reliant Robin because it's in Sheffield and because it's full of full of very silly things. It's it's the silliness. It's I, I I do watch it going. I know where that is. I know where that is. That's around the corner from where I used to live. <laughs> but it is. How can you tell? It's all just grey and and there's like pits and stuff everywhere. Right. You come to Sheffield. It, it is a it is a many and varied place, and at no point will we end up on our roof, probably. <laughs> yes, and there you go. Those are what we think at the moment um, are the top three Top Gear features. And I think this could change in an instant because I've already just remembered um, because Aston Martin have just announced a new V12 Vantage that the old V12 Vantage was featured on Top Gear in one of I don't want to call it my favourite, but one of one of the most interesting. Top Gear features was Clarkson reviewing the old V12 Vantage by just driving it through some beautiful roads, saying a few things, doing some really clever editing, all to, I think, um, a track called An Ending by Brian Eno. And when it was screened, we all thought, is this the end of Top Gear? And I can't remember what it was like season 12 or something like that, because it was just said with such finality that, you know, this is the end of all sports cars because everyone hates them now. It turned out to not be true, but the actual piece itself is fantastic. And if you're the kind of nerd that looks at the camera work, and I am that kind of nerd, there's some really clever stuff going on with the kind of panning trickery as they pan around the inside of the car, but the scenery outside changes during the pan, which I'd love to know how they did and and why they did it um there's some very very clever things going on in what is a very subtle review and other things come up and i go oh maybe that one's the best one but for right now those are the ones that have jumped to to the top of our lists so thanks to david barrett for the idea maybe we'll do this again in episode 100 assuming we get that far (laughs) uh i threw one more thing in before we move on to the usuals um because we've mentioned Top Gear a lot, and if you were drinking along with us, you're now probably apoplectic. <laughs> now you're probably on the Paralytic. floor. Paralytic, that's the word. Favourite Fast and Furious moment. There's nine movies to choose from and a spin-off. So, right, I, you put this into the, show, into, the, into the show notes, and I thought, I'm struggling to remember a lot of individual moments. I think there is... The one that jumped to my mind weirdly is when Jason Statham's character is on a plane trying and there's like a baby. Yeah. I think that might be in Fast 8. 
Yeah. He's all like the- shooting baddies while trying to keep the baby asleep or safe yeah. or something like that, which is just the most absurd thing when we're talking about the Fast and Furious um, franchise. It shows you how ridiculous it has become. But the thing is, if you talk about moments and lines, I think the stunts, some of the, the later stunts like, were amazing. And I, Particularly, I know it's CG, but the one where all the cars just start pouring like a waterfall out of the, out of the car parks. But most of the, the dialogue... And most of the moments that I remember are all in the first film. You know, you you nearly had me. You never had your car. You know. <laughs> hey, man, the- he was in my face. <laughs> I'm in your face. <laughs> Followed by a picture of Paul Walker with Vin Diesel's face <laughs> pasted over the top of him. Um, yeah, you're right. I think about those three black civics whizzing yep. underneath the, the truck. Trying um, to steal DVD players. Yeah. Uh, there are a few moments like the 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 car park drift in Tokyo Drift. Yes. Um, the ending of Tokyo Drift, and I think I've spoken about this before. I went to see it with a bunch of mates, and I think that some people in the cinema knew that after publicly and you know quite visibly not being in Too Fast Too Furious, Vin Diesel was making a return um, as a cameo in Tokyo Drift, and right at the very end he shows up, and they're talking about Han. And he said, I thought, didn't know Han was into American muscle. And Vin Diesel says he did when he was rolling with me and cut to car chase and the credits and the cinema went crazy. And we are, (laughs) you know, repressed, reserved Brits. We don't do that kind of thing. But that was like seeing a film in America. It was absolutely incredible. (laughs) If you think back to that, I don't think that would happen now. Um, There are like little things like the the crazy, like the moments where the safe in... um, Fast Five is just, they're doing like handbrake turns and the safe is doing a huge handbrake turn through a bus shelter at the same time. Um, one of the other ones that sprang to mind for me was the fight scene in Fast 7 with Paul Walker and Tony Jaa, who's a proper martial arts absolute hero. And they're fighting in the back of an articulated lorry. And full credit to Paul Walker and his stunt team because that looks brutal and he he more than appears to hold his own through, I guess, lots of training and you know, clever stunt work and so on. That looks, you know, that that's where these movies started to out-bond Bond um, for me, yeah. you, where, where you go, they just cannot, Bond can't match up to this kind of thing. Um, any number of people taking the piss out of Roman Pierce, that's just my favourite thing. Anything where Tej says something cool, absolutely any moment where Han is in it, eating something, tossing off a pithy Bon Mot. <laughs> okay, if you were drinking along there, then you really are plastered now. And we've, we've now gone through every one of our podcast cliches. And, and before I move on to our regular features, I am going to take this opportunity to to beg and plead for you to leave us reviews on your podcast repository of choice because it's those that actually get us um, more subscribers. They make us more visible. They reach more customers if you do that. So if you are enjoying the show, if you are one of our two listeners, you know, leave us, <laughs> leave us a nice review, um, share and enjoy and do let us know whether we're doing a good job, whether you disagree with the absolute nonsense we spout every couple of months. <laughs> we're better than that, actually, every couple of weeks, every three weeks. We're, we're getting there. We're getting back in. We're, get, we're doing better. So um, do leave us some feedback. That would be great. That would be fantastic. That really helps us spread the word of this nichiest of niche podcasts. Let's move on to the regulars now. What has Henry Catchpole been doing this week? Henry's been busy. There's been a lot of uh, of his work coming up on the um Carfection YouTube channel, which is no bad thing. Um, 
I wondered about the ID Buzz, because I know how much you love a VW van. But instead, the first drive of a Lotus Emira prototype... This has done the rounds. <laughs> it has. It when, has. When, this was, when this was dropped, the, I think Carfections one dropped into my feed the first, but Top Gear also had it. I think Evo had it. Um, there's been a write-up on many car websites, but I trust Henry, I think, above almost all others. So it's Henry's review is the one that I watched. And as somebody who is very interested in how the Amira drives, <laughs> and sorry, how the Amira drives, because I could be a prospective customer in a year or two when you can actually buy one, I found it fascinating. And it's a first drive in a car that's not quite complete, but it's pretty close. It gives you our first look at a genuine sort of representative car in motion. The I saw the static car at the Festival of Speed last year, and that was I slammed to say mm. it, you know, to, to say the least. I I think that thing was on was down on the bump stops. It was so low that you had to question if it would ride well at all. And they had a a moving prototype, but that was dark grey with dark grey wheels, so you really couldn't quite get a sense of how it was going to look. I think that was also the same one that I think Dave Pook spotted, that the show car had wheel spaces. Oh, it had wheel spaces too. So yes, it was a a teeny bit... Well, it was a show car. Mm. Show car is the right word for it, and it made people very interested. It was in a lovely blue shade. It looks spectacular. And seeing like the real thing now, it looks ever so slightly smaller for having just a teeny bit more ride height and and possibly a slightly narrower track. But I still think the styling looks amazing. Mm. I'm still not 100% convinced the interior is... I mean, it looks good, and if it's well made, that'll be a first. (laughs) (laughs) How much are they? 75 grand. They're not cheap. For the first edition ones with a V6 manual, you're looking at 75k. If you um, plus more, if you want to put some some options like a nice color on it or something. And you really want the manual, don't you? You want the manual V6. I know that there's an AMG. It's the AMG four pot uh, with the flappy paddle gearbox mm. that's coming out of the A45 is going to be put in it, and that might be faster. It might be lighter, but I don't think it's going to be as much fun to drive. And I'm no, I, I'm still. You know, I still want to have the ability to change my own gears with my left leg and my left arm or right arm, depending <laughs> on which which arm is it. You know, I want a manual gearbox still for my fun yeah. car at the moment. I think if you're chasing track times, lap times, or whatever, or you just want to be the fastest person out on the road, then maybe the 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 maybe AMG buy an electric car. No, no one should do that. <laughs> um, but yes, Sp- you know, it's it's. It's a really interesting review of the not-quite-finished product, but the gist of both Henry's video and all the other material that's been out there is that this is the best thing Lotus has done probably full stop in terms of quality, and it's not even signed off yet. You know, it's it's it seems like this is going to be something really, really special and mm. that the hype is justified, which is really, really good news to hear, even if it is, like, 20 years too late. <laughs> this is the last like proper car Lotus makes before they just start shipping out refrigerators like everybody else. Speaking of cars that all did the rounds, did you see the videos of the Morgan Super 3-wheeler? I did, and I ignored them because I don't like the way it looks. I think it loses something not having the motor at the front. Yeah, that's that's really... I I tell you what, I like the wheels, um, but I don't like what they've done to the front. 
And that is everything about the Morgan three-wheeler for me is how it looks at the front. Uh, maybe this is better, probably is. Uh, maybe they'll sell more, I don't know. But it's, it's not for me, so I, I must admit I didn't watch this. They have the option of having, come on, I don't know if they call them luggage racks or pannier racks or something. So you can basically spec up your three-wheeler to have like two panels on the side you can strap bags to and a rack on the back that you can strap luggage to. And I'm sure for the right person who goes off and does some sort of crazy adventuring in it, it will be amazing. But I I love the idea of it as a silly car. And I think... Um, Alex Goy said, because he's actually got one, God bless him, that it's not a car you take if you absolutely want to arrive at your destination, which I think is a brilliant way of describing a toy, but I think this one may have just gone a bit too sensible. However, in five years' time, we may all look at it and go, actually, the old one was a bit silly, and that one actually does look better. So we shall see. It's true. Let's move on to Pick of the Week. Your YouTube show and channel picks, please. So my video pick is F1 TV correspondent Lawrence Barreto versus Lando Norris driving go-karts. I did watch this. I'm not sure if I saw this on YouTube or on Instagram or something like that, but I have seen this and it is really quite fun. It's very fun for all of those of us who think, well, how much faster is an F1 driver really? And if you are driving against a four-foot-nothing racing driver who weighs nothing who has his own kart company and kart racing team and does a lot of karting you're going to come second but when you see somebody and i'm sure lawrence was trying actually what the difference is it's enormous it it really is quite humbling even in such a small environment quite how big the difference is and it's well worth a watch that kind of cuts you back down to size a little bit shall we say it's been a while since i watched this because this came out uh some time ago but i do seem to remember lando watching him and was sort of passing like he's he's not going to make that corner he's too slow there he's he's that's nowhere sort of (laughs) just watching with an expert eye and judging quite harshly (laughs) just every every mistake was amplified i can't remember how much faster he was around the lap or ridiculous it was absolutely ridiculous huge and and i guess like that's the difference between people who think they can drive and and people who can it's illustrative. I don't think it mm. went into enough detail. I would love to have seen like a split screen. Here's a lap with Lando and here's a lap with, with Lawrence Barreto. Mm. And you could just see where all the time was made. And, you know, we're going to mention them again. Sky Sports do this brilliantly <laughs> when they do their pole lap reviews, where you see mm. the difference between the person who came second and the person who got pole. And they'll, you know, with Anthony Davidson, will go around the whole lap and at, at segments where there's an identifiable point on the track, like a bridge or a particular marking, he'll stop the the playback and go and you can see he's gained x car lengths here and his line is such that he's closer to the apex and so on i would love to have seen that for this but it is really illustrative of how much faster a professional um, racing driver with go-kart experience is Mm. against somebody who's probably been in some carts and knows vaguely one end of a cart from the other but is is (laughs) by no means a pro and Am I right in thinking Lando was a world karting champion? I have a feeling he was. Quite possibly. Um, so, you know, of the current grid, I think he's maybe one of the one of the most keen carters. 
So yeah, maybe him and Fernando Alonso, because I know Alonso has his own cart track and, and his does, own yeah. cart designs and so on. So it's a good video. It's worth a watch. How about your channel? So given that it's our 50th episode and the fact that it's our podcast, damn it, and I'm just going to pick this anyway, I've gone with First We Feast. Again, which, I should say, which you have also featured on this podcast for the we? same reasons below. I think on a Christmas show or something. Oh, you, I don't you, care. You threw it in there because that's the first I'd ever heard of it. Ah, so... Marty texted me recently and was like, do you watch Hot Ones and have you seen the Dave Grohl episode? And I went, yes, isn't it brilliant? Because, so for those of you, so those of you who don't know, and First We Feast is a whole channel, but they have a, have a series called Hot Ones where they basically do an interview while eating increasingly hotter wings. And Dave Grohl And this is like it. the wings that are made out of chicken, not like the wings that go on the back of cars. <laughs> Just so we're clear, this has got nothing to do with cars. No. Nope. TV, YouTube. Nope. Oh, all right, it does have something to do with YouTube. Well, but, yes. You know, it's, it's, this is just Chris going, I like this channel and I want to tell you about it. In a minute, he's going to be going on about VW buses again. Probably. But the... So they had recently Dave Grohl, who basically comes in and most people... They're eating these chicken wings or vegan equivalent and they're just getting more and more out of it and they're trying to answer questions and they can't focus on anything anymore. Dave just comes in, owns it like a boss. You want to be his friend. You want to be there. It just seems like such a great time. It's fantastic. It is spectacular. He he out out hots the host who Mm. does this all the time. He he drinks him under the table by feeding him a ton of cocktails so that he's he's <laughs> he's doing the the um the YouTube host equivalent of I love you man. <laughs> um it's fantastic. It's a really really good series, the Hot One series. I haven't watched anything else that they do because I've just dipped in and gone I want to watch this person eat hot stuff and I want to watch this person eat hot stuff and that's about it. But I imagine they've got lots of other things to do. So yes, I have have stuck to the briefing of this. I have delivered a, a crisp, a tight 45, if you will. <laughs> I recently got into watching videos from Haggerty, which Chris has featured, a, I think, a few episodes ago. The Haggerty channel is is on an absolute tear at the moment. Uh, and the main reason for this is that they've got Jason Camisa doing shows for them. And all of his stuff is absolute genius. I think he might be my very favourite car reviewer of the moment. And the video I've chosen is him talking about the Lotus Elise because the Lotus Elise has just this week or last week finished the production. They've the very last one has rolled off the line um, and gone to Elisa, the name, the lady for whom the Elise was named. And this is a wonderful bit of storytelling, which is largely Jason Camisa in a garage with a season uh, an S1 Elise and an S2 Supercharged Elise, which belongs to him, telling the story of how the Elise came to be and how it came to be in the US and the kind of compromises that there are and, and why it's so special and why it's so significant. And it's just the best telling of this story I can think of. It's absolutely incredible. And it's so interesting to hear him talk about how he uses the Elise as a benchmark when he's reviewing cars, because 
if you know what good steering is like, then everything else has to be judged against the steering in an Elise because that's the car he, he knows best. And it's fascinating to hear him talk about it. And it passes the test of me immediately going on to <laughs> piston heads and searching for supercharged S2 Elises. And I'm still there now and, and I'm, I'm horribly tempted. If I could get one in black um, without a million miles on it, then then that would be that would be perfect because his one looks amazing in that video. So please check that out. But really what I want to say is just go to YouTube and type in Jason Camisa and then watch everything that comes up. Everything. You know what? I, I've been, I feel like I've been so late to this, but the video, I mean, I, I recommended one of his a few episodes ago and you're kind of feeding me the, these episodes and he's, he's brilliant. He's such a good writer he delivers things he's in a, he's he's got a real flair for the writing of it and he he elevates these pieces that could be quite dry or could be seen to be you know kind of maybe aping a bit of top gear he's made them his own he has a series mm. called icons with haggerty where he's basically based at um big willow and reviewing a, a pair of cars or a single car there's a fantastic one he's got with the the tesla model s plaid edition and the bmw m5 cs and the cadillac ctsv blackwing um which is fantastic and you know he's he's got such a turn of phrase he's got such a way of delivering he made an appearance on he's made loads of appearances on uh, Matt Farris smoking tire podcast where yes. he's incredibly honest those are all worth a listen i remember him from doing motor trend with Johnny Lieberman where he, i think he was only doing that for a couple of series of the ignition series or the head to head series i forget which but he even then he was the kind of king of a sort of slightly sideways silly idea that would then allow him to tell a story about the cars he was reviewing. And the same is true here, but it's paired with spectacular production values. I mean, it's really the Icon series is the best stuff you're going to see about car reviewing this side of the Grand Tour or Top Gear. That's yep. the kind of budget they're dealing with. They have an amazing team of people making these. They're absolutely worth a watch so please just go and watch all of the icon series <laughs> watch all of his revelation series he's also on a channel i featured a few episodes ago called um is i double s i m i yes um i have no idea who they are um but he's he's with a, another guy there where they do a, a sort of podcasty thing called the curmudgeon show carmudgeon show sorry uh with a guy called derek tam scott uh and that's a great back and forth about a few things he does some a series called spotlight on the isimi channel um there's a really good episode on the um, carrera gt uh, and the history of the engine specifically in the carrera gt and how that came to be made that's really good but yes. I've, I've witted on enough but there's so much good stuff just do a, a youtube search for jason camisa and watch it all <laughs> uh, for my channel, I mentioned last pod that I was having real trouble kind of finding interesting channels. And so I made an effort to dig through a whole ton of uh, sort of related videos and trust in the algorithm to feed me something. And it did feed me something. I found a channel called MPZ Race Video, which just has hill climb cars on it. Uh, and it, you can't get better than that, really. It's just a bunch of amazing supercharged, turbocharged cars making that little noise as they break into a corner and then the driver crawls around the corner because they just cannot make the thing do anything other than understeer until they can nail the throttle at which point it spits out a bunch of blue smoke and then accelerates off the road at ridiculous speed <laughs> uh, there's so many videos of these that i've been going around but there's there's a few 
featured on there that you absolutely must watch. If you like petrol-powered madness, or even in one case, diesel-powered madness, as they bring a, a, one of those massive racing trucks on there that spews smoke that makes me very slightly uncomfortable now. So are these hill-climb cars in the sense of the, those um, be-winged like little single seaters that go up like little British hills or is this more American? Not really. This is no, no. We're talking more like vintage Audi Quattros, um, you know, like S1 Quattros. There's a lot of those, a lot of Lancia Deltas, like the, the, think of like Group B, lots of that stuff. Yeah. And then whatever they were going to do next, which I think was Group S. And then there'll be a bunch of Opals with engines that sound like they want to burst through the top of the block and come out of the bonnet. Um, there's a few, there's a Mercedes 190E that just sounds incredible. There's lots wow. of Impressas. There's a load of Evos that all just look disastrous. They mm. probably quite quick, but they look like they were smashed together in some YouTuber's shop. They look terrible. Uh, a bunch of 911s that all do 911 things. There's... Honestly, just go to the channel and you'll see all of that and more in the thumbnails. The the Lots of the races seem to happen in Switzerland, which is weird because I thought the Swiss hated cars. But clearly there's some kind of underground rebellion where they're all like, yeah, but we can do hill climbing. Uh, last feature, because it's the 50, 50th podcast, uh, our favourite slash notable film from the first 49 episodes of the Automovie podcast. You go first. So... I'm going to pick two movies here, uh, neither of which I had seen before we started doing this podcast, which is kind of the point, really. Mm. Uh, the first of which is the Gumball Rally. So I was aware of the concept of gumballing because of Gumball 3000, uh, Maximilian Cooper and his mates doing the, the, the races across America and Europe. But I'd never seen the movie that inspired this. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the cannonballing and so on. And... This was a real joy to watch and review, particularly the opening stuff where you've got them all cannonball. Sorry, not cannonball. They're all going gumball, gumball. And then you see the car, the the one with the Ferrari Daytona, just nailing it through the city at 6am. And the the people watching it going, it's going to be a good day. (laughs) (sighs) That is so good. So enjoyable. There's a bit of Bobbin story, but those moments are indelible. Uh, and the second one has to be Max Mad, Mad Max Fury Road. Just an astonishing piece of filmmaking. A brilliant story, unbelievable stunt work, amazing visuals. Can't believe it took us this long to watch it, let alone <laughs> review it. Um, those are my two. How about you? So I also came up with Mad Max Fury Road which is one of those films that I'm now kicking myself that I didn't watch it sooner. And I've seen some in-depth analysis of it on YouTube. And I think a great film, you you don't pick it apart, you just delve deeper and deeper into it. I think Max Mad, Mad Max Fury Road absolutely is a film that you can do that with. Um, I loved Hit and Run, which was Dak Shepard's independent, tiny budget Film just full of heart. Love that to bits. That while I remember, that's episode 37 of the Automovie podcast, that one. Uh, (laughs) And Mad Max Fury Road was episode 46. And I think the other one that really stuck with me was Uppity, the Willie T. Ribbs story. And Willie T. Ribbs, he's done some stuff on Sky since. But I think the perspective of somebody trying to make it as a black racing driver in the early 80s 
who looked up to Muhammad Ali, who embodied that same spirit. It's just proof. I think a documentary can absolutely hang on somebody who is charismatic and fearless and determined. And it's a film that I've recommended to so many people where you could sort of have to say to people, well, you know, stick with it. It's interesting, but it just keeps getting better. And I, I love it to bits. I think without this podcast, I may not have watched it. Good stuff. Any more? I think the other one that does bring to mind is The Great Race, which is one of those, it's one of those that ends up on lists that people kind of go, oh, you know, this was a great film. And you kind of go, yeah, yeah I'll get around to watching it one day. And again, I think without the podcast, I wouldn't have done it. But actually, I think it's still an amazing film. I think it still holds up well. And I think not enough people have watched it. It's true, including me. I should probably check that one out. I think I probably said that after you reviewed it on the show. I do remember the review of it being quite interesting. So, yes, I can't find that one on the episode list that quickly. But (laughs) if you do want to go back and cherry pick some from our back catalogue, now is a great time to do it. Uh, And with that, that brings us to the end of episode 50 of the Automovie podcast. As I said before, if you enjoyed this, do please like and subscribe and all that good YouTuber stuff. Uh, We are on YouTube now. You can find us on our YouTube channel. So if you like listening to podcasts on a video platform, then please subscribe and listen to us there. That would be much appreciated. Let us know what you thought of our favourite Top Gear episode features. Uh, if we've missed anything really blindingly obvious, which I'm sure we have. There's so many to choose from that this was <laughs> this was never going to be exhaustive or comprehensive, just a personal opinion. And let us know about any films and documentaries that we haven't covered that you'd like us to cover because we've got more episodes to come, more things to record, more stuff to watch. So with that, I think it's time to sign off our 50th episode. If you're still with us after the number of times we've said the words Top Gear or Fast and Furious, then we thank you. And we're off to sanction Christian Horner (laughs) for crimes against Formula One. Oh, if only. Until next time, everyone. (laughs) 